The reason I can't tell you where Slash lives is because he don't live nowhere. Don't you ever wonder how Slash can be all those places at the same time? It's because he's made up. He don't spoil it for the kids, Marty. It's up to parents to decide when to tell their children Slash ain't real. Hello? Dad, is Slash real or make-believe? Clyde, the truth is, Slosh isn't a person. He's more like a feeling in your heart, you know? Slash isn't real. Get out of here. Clyde, sometimes people like to pretend with make-believe characters. He's not really a lie. He's like a... He's like love. People all over the world dress up like Slosh and have different names for Slosh. The Dutch call him Wunterslosh. He's made up and people dress like him and pretend to be him to their kid. You guys! You guys! We've got some bad news. Slash isn't real. What? Slash isn't real. He's a made-up person that represents care and giving, and people dress up like him and lie to their kids. Slash is make-believe? Here, look for yourself. He's based on a fable of a Dutch saint named Wunterslash. Wunterslash? What? But then, who played at my eighth birthday party? One of our parents. But then, who was the guitar player for Guns N' Roses? One of our parents. Are you f***ing serious? This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pruning. Now, crank it up. We're back, baby. 2021 is finally here. We've been away for a little while, and we're finally getting back into it here through almost mid to late January. What's going on there, Hollywood? Uh, Just living the dream. Uh, We actually have a president in the White Office, right? Uh, White Office. White (laughs) House. But we don't technically still know, since we're recording before the person actually takes over, we don't technically know which one it is. Yeah, you know me. I never pay attention to it one way or another. I just pay my taxes and hope somebody gives me some money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't worry. You'll find it on Facebook. (laughs) Do they have political ads on Netflix? Because that's really all I've been watching. (laughs) Yeah, Yellowstone hats. Oh, my God. I'm going to take you off to the train station someday. Dude, what the hell, man? I swear... You got me into Yellowstone, and I was addicted, and I got into it, and there were three seasons to watch, and I watched all three seasons. I just finished the end of uh, season three, and oh my God. For season two, at least they put a nice bow on it and closed it up and didn't leave any cliffhangers, really, but season three left tons of ridiculous cliffhangers, and I was so pissed at you. I'm like, you couldn't tell me that up front, and I would have waited to watch season three till they release season four. No, I, I, I couldn't do that to you. I want you to feel the same pain I'm feeling. Oh my God. So freaking intense. I absolutely love Beth, man. She is so <laughs> badass. She's one of my favorites, man. She is 
freaking murdering high hills. <laughs> yeah, that show is awesome. Yeah, what a great show. That and I've been watching a lot of uh, Vikings on Amazon because somebody got me into that. And so I've been been into that as well. What's that show about? Vikings. <laughs> Oh, thanks. Dickhead. You know, raping and pillaging and <laughs> taking oh, over okay. places and, you know, pretty much it's um, the Nordic Union. <laughs> it's okay. where all our favorite bands are from now. <laughs> yeah. All righty then. Hey, Sonny, let me ask you this. Do you think Slash is real? Uh, I hope so because he's the guy I blame for drinking Jack Daniels the way I did. So I'm thinking he's real. You know, the Dutch call him Wunderslaus. Oh, I don't know what that means, <laughs> but I can't imagine he's like Santa Claus and riding the sleigh hammered. Well, I guess that's possible. It's possible. So this episode tonight is going to be a really fun debate, and it's going to be something that we should really have fun with in the Loud Minority Facebook group with people because we're posing the question, is Guns N' Roses really that great? Obviously, we're not going to get an answer right now. We're going to go through some of this. I'll start off by saying up front that Appetite for Destruction is without a doubt a Desert Island album for me personally. But 30 some odd years later, let me see, that album came out in 87, is it? Yeah. How many years is that now? Wow. You can't do that much math. It's 33 years. No, man, I don't have that many fingers nor toes. I mean, Jesus, that's why I have you on the podcast to tell me these things. Come on, man. This is not your first rodeo. You know these things, right? So 33 years and this band is playing stadiums. Mm, we're going to talk a little bit more about all that. But before we get too far into this episode, you know what we got to do here. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. Tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight comes from a band called Unruly Child. The band consists of Marcy Free, which I think used to be Mark Free in King Cobra, Bruce Gowdy on guitars, Guy Allison on keyboards, Tony Franklin, you know that name, on bass, and Jay Schillen on drums, and you called it out before we jumped on this call. Jay Schillen used to be in Hurricane. I think he's played in a few other things as well. So check out this song from their latest album. The album is called Our Glass House, and the song is called Say What You Want. Like a 
Yeah, that just got released. I think it was just released maybe four or five weeks ago. Yeah, right at the end of the year. Yeah, th- that song musically is great. The whole album, it was hit and miss for me. It just depends on like some of the choruses feel a little forced. I will tell you, even one of my favorite bands, Striper. Striper sometimes does that. They like kind of almost force the chorus in to try to be catchy, but doesn't always fit the rest of the song. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt that on some of the songs on this album. Yeah, I like some of the riffs. It's hit or miss for me. I like uh, I like the song that we just played. I like some of the other stuff on the record. It's also got a little bit of filler for me, but there's enough guitar to keep me interested, enough riffs going on that I dig it enough. Vocals sound decent. Uh, so yeah, check it out. It's called Our Glass House and the band is Unruly Child. They've been around for a while. It's not a new band. They were around in the nineties. They broke up for a while. Uh, there's been a couple of different formations of this band, but check it out on to tonight's episode. So what we decided to do is appetite Desert Island for both of us. There's absolutely no doubt it's Desert Island for a ton of people. That's why it sold so many copies. And it had everything from right timing, great music, a great guitarist, a crazy frontman, MTV. Like it had everything you would want. They got lucky with a couple of tours. You know, they were considered crazy druggies and drinking and all that. And they were LA. So they hit it at the right time, lightning in a bottle. But then in reality, They have six studio albums. One is a covers album, and about half of one other album is written before Appetite. And except for Appetite and GNR Lies, they've got a bunch of member changes. So when it comes down to it, these guys don't have a ton of music for 35 plus years. There's absolutely no doubt. They've sold a ton of albums. Oh my God, for those six albums, they've sold a lot, but they don't have a ton of music out there. So what we decided to do is like, you know what? Okay, we got Appetite. Let's make a great GNR follow-up album to Appetite. Cause I think everybody realizes when a band has that one great album, it is almost impossible to follow it up. And really some of you may argue with us, but use your illusion one and two pales in comparison to Appetite. In my opinion, even if you combine them to one album, it doesn't stand up. So we decided to come up with our own album 12 songs from the rest of the discography for Guns N' Roses, but we imposed a rule that only four of them can come off of each of the Use Your Illusion albums. So basically, we didn't want to throw ourselves into a situation where you just pick the best 12 out of the two albums, Use Your Illusion, and you come up with an album. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to take the rest of all of the discography and come up with a 12-song album, and that's what we ended up doing. Yeah, I think that it's been publicized before. There have been other podcasts that did a combination of Use Your Illusions 1 and 2 and made one good record. We've said from day one that Use Your Illusions 1 and 2, really, there's probably one good record worth of material there, at least in my opinion. I think Sonny's opinion as well. And then to follow that up, you got Spaghetti Incident and much, much later on, Chinese Democracy. Like Sonny said, there's just not a whole bunch of stuff. GNR Lies, it really is an EP. You know, they did those acoustic tunes and then they added the Uzi Suicide EP that they had selling out of the back of trunks before they got signed, that whole thing. So I don't even really consider that an album, but... We're going to count it as an album in here. 
just to give you a little bit of perspective. So Appetite for Destruction comes out in 87, sells 18 million records. So Diamond certified is 10 million. So Appetite sells 18 million. Guns N' Roses Lies comes out in 88, sells 5 million. Use Your Illusions 1 and 2 come out in 91. They both sell 7 million, which I thought was a little interesting that one didn't outsell the other. Maybe it did in terms of like 100,000 or 200,000 records, but they're both listed as seven-time platinum uh, records. And then Spaghetti Incident, like Sonny said, all covers record in 1993. That only sold a million records which is unbelievable to me. (laughs) And then Chinese Democracy releases in 2008, and it sells a million records as well, which is pretty good considering the time of it all. 2008 was not a whole bunch of records being sold, but I think they did that deal with Best Buy or whatever at the time, and people were excited for New Guns N' Roses record. So yeah, I mean, this should be fun. But as we dig through all of this stuff, we're going to answer the question, is Guns N' Roses really that great? Or are they a band that literally is being hailed as so great because of one album released 33 years ago? We're going to answer that at the end, right? Sure we are. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, am I answering that now? We're not amateurs. Of course we're going to answer that at the end. (laughs) Okay. Right after we give everybody uh, our uh, take on the what should have been the uh, second follow-up to Appetite. And I think that there's no way in hell that I would have ever thought they would have released an album that would have been as good as Appetite. So no matter how hard you try to scrape together songs from all the rest of the catalog, it's never going to add up to Appetite. But I think that, at least for me, I've put together a reasonable record that is a decent follow-up to Appetite for my personal taste. Yeah, and we haven't shared what each other's albums look like. We have no idea what we're going to do with album art, so that's a complete surprise to us. And I will tell you, I've got 12 songs on my album, and this album is pretty good. It doesn't sniff Appetite. No, no way. <laughs> like I said, you can't scrape together uh, enough material on any of these records to compared to appetite in my opinion yeah all right so we're gonna get started with this go for it all right so the title of my follow-up album is gonna be called amphetamines and alcohol and in parentheses what doesn't kill us makes us stronger and the cover to the album i think is going to be a black and white sort of blurry picture of a blonde starlet with mascara running down her face, with a glass of bourbon sitting on a table with two Elka-Seltzers in it that are fizzing. And in the background, there'll be people passed out and, you know, kind of cigarettes and ashtrays and things scattered all around. So that's your album art for this uh, second follow-up. I've created a playlist on uh, Spotify, which I will share in the show notes. And again, the album will be called Amphetamines and Alcohol. Doesn't that just make you feel great after Christmas? Uh, Yes, it does. It's very (laughs) interesting because I took a different approach. So this is going to be very interesting. Okay, cool. All right. So the song listing is as follows. I took 
three songs off of Use Your Illusion 2 and Use Your Illusion 1. So I opted not to take the four songs. I took three from each one of those records. I took two from Lies, two from Chinese Democracy, and two from Spaghetti Incident. And that was what comprised my 12 songs for this record. I'll be up front and say, and listen, I didn't put any November rains or hits on this record, so there's no sweet child of mine. I'm not sure there's anything on this record that would be compared or considered a hit, so probably this album would be a huge failure no matter what. <laughs> you know, you can't have sweet child of mine. That's an appetite song. No, no. I, I mean, uh, <laughs> there, there's not a hit like that is what I'm saying. I'm just pointing it out because you don't follow rules too good. No, no, there's nothing nothing for appetite. We're not even talking about appetite other than from a comparison standpoint. Now, we made that clear. All right, so my album is going to kick off with what would be the first single from this album, and that's You Could Be Mine. I think that it's a fantastic album opener. So You Could Be Mine from Use Your Illusion 2 will open up the record. It'll be the first single off this record. From there, we're going to go into a song called Bad Obsession from Use Your Illusion 1. I think it's a nice change of pace. It's really kind of bluesy uh, slide guitar. And I just, I love that song when the second guitar kicks in with that riff. It's really, really cool. From there, we're going to go into another Use Your Illusion 2 song called Pretty Tied Up, which has a little bit of a weird feel with the uh, sitar type stuff going on in the beginning, but it's got a good groove and it still kicks ass. So that song keeps the record going. From there, we're going to slide into the first one off of Spaghetti Incident. This one was originally done by the band called the UK Subs, and this is a song called Down on the Farm. To get healthy 
never heard of the UK subs in my life. It's a punk band. Never heard this song in my life, but I think it's an okay song as far as covers go. And so that'll be my number four song. Then we slide into what I would consider maybe the first sort of quiet moment in the record. And we're going to go to, I used to love her, but I had to kill her off of GNR Lies simply because I just think that song is fun, which probably doesn't sit that well with me for people because I used to love her, but I had to kill her. But come on, kind of funny. <laughs> 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 so that's my number five. And because I got into Guns N' Roses with Appetite and I had a cassette that I wore out. In fact, I had two cassettes that I wore out in my car. The last song on side one of that cassette is going to be also off of Lies. And it's going to be the live track of Reckless Life. And that's going to close the first side of my cassette, Amphetamines and Alcohol. So what do you think of that first side of that cassette there, Sonny? Wow. Okay. Four out of these six songs will be on my cassette at some point. And my favorite GNR song, besides anything on Appetite, is also within this six. Okay. So leave right. you some mystery. Yeah. So that's interesting. But that side flows pretty well to me. I went back and forth laying these songs out because, yeah, sequencing matters to me. And so that's how I laid it out. So I flipped that tape and on side two of this tape, the first song is going to be Chinese Democracy, the title track. I like this song. I liked it when I heard it. I didn't have a whole lot of hope for the record and that was well founded. <laughs> but, but this song seems to be maybe the closest thing on this record to a Guns N' Roses song. Uh, I like the axle scream at the beginning. I like the riff. Uh, this song is also very good live. It goes over really well. So Chinese Democracy kicks off side two. We go from that into a real barn burner off of Use Your Illusion 1 right next door to hell. Yeah. 
So that's my number two track. So opening up the second side of the cassette kicks ass pretty good out of the gates. I needed another one off a of Chinese democracy. So I went with Shackler's Revenge. It's a little bit of a strange song, but I don't hate it. Like I kind of like it. It's just a little different and probably out of this entire record. This one might be so well, maybe I used to love her, but this one might be the one that's sort of out of place in terms of sound. So that one is the third track on side two and the second Chinese democracy track. From Shackler's Revenge, we go to the second one off of the Spaghetti Incident, originally done by the professionals, written by Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols, and that's Black Leather. Then from Black Leather, we go back to Use Your Illusion 1 for the final track from that record and Back Off Bitch, which Back Off Bitch is a pretty old song. That's been around since before Appetite for Destruction. There's some demos out there of that song, I think, on that recently released big box set thing that Guns N' Roses released. So that song's been around for a little bit. I kind of like it. I like the riff in it. Then we get to the final track of the album, and we're going to close it out with a song from Use Your Illusion 2 called Estrange. Now, Estranged is a little bit out of my characteristics because it's kind of slow, but I really grew to like this song quite a bit, especially after seeing it live a few times. It's just a really, really diverse kind of cool song, and uh, I dig it. So that's what's going to close out the record. So that's my side two, Chinese Democracy, Right Next Door to Hell, Shackler's Revenge, Black Leather, Back Off Bitch, and we're ending with Estranged. Yeah, only one of those songs made my <laughs> cassette. <laughs> side one, I'm doing good in terms of what we're uh, syncing up with, but side two, I'm on, on an island by myself. That's right, because uh, if anybody knows us and been this, listening to us for a while, after side one, it's like, wait a second, these guys are both on the same wavelength, and then you picked some interesting songs on side two that <laughs> I absolutely stayed away from because I was in a different mood when I was putting together my Guns N' Roses album, so. Well, I think that sums up our relationship pretty much, though. We're split down the middle, right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. All right, so before we get into your album... So let's take a minute out to recognize the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group. This is a private Facebook group that we've created where we can talk about the podcast, talk about post, talk about material that we're doing on the podcast. When we post something like, is Guns N' Roses really that great? We'll definitely have a conversation regarding this episode for sure and any new and upcoming episodes that we got going on. So it's just a great place to join and come talk about music. Try to keep it positive in there. I had to kick a couple people out last week because... Ooh, why? Because they got, you know, one guy called me a douchebag. <laughs> so he was right. What's the problem? <laughs> Get out there, 
you. Those words mean a great deal to us. They help us express just how we as a company see things differently. It's just a bold new way that we can say we don't f***ing care. Can't handle the truth. That's what it is. I probably posted something I shouldn't have posted that created a little bit too much controversy, more than I really wanted to create. And I was willing to talk about it with an open mind, but some people got really kind of nasty from the get-go, so I booted them. There's too much negativity as there as it is, so I don't want to deal with a hun- whole bunch of other negative shit in a group that we run, and I don't have to. So that's that was the thing about it is like, okay, you don't know me, and you're going to come into the group and and call me a douchebag right off the bat. Okay, whether or not you're right, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was probably talking about you, but <laughs> I just yeah. I let it go. Uh, because, you know, I, I can't have you talking about Poonie that way. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you got booted. But anyway, we try to keep it positive. No politics, mostly music and uh, just open discussion. Uh, and so that's what it's all about. The Loud Minority Facebook group. All you got to do is ask to join, answer a couple of rock and roll questions. We'll let you in. I think the rock and roll questions are Roth or Hager. And give us five bands you like a lot, five hard rock bands you like. So uh, it's pretty easy. And uh, that's it. We let you in and uh, shoot the shit. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. Okay, so my album, so let me tell you what I did. I went, listened to all the albums in Spotify, put a, you know, just kind of liked it if I liked the song, and then figured, okay, I'll have a bunch of songs to choose from, and I'll pick 12, and I'll put them into some sort of order that nobody cares about and doesn't matter, but I'll do it anyway because that's what Steven wants. (laughs) And so I did that. Now, when I did that with Van Halen, you know, I'll have like 40 to choose from and I got to cut them down to 12 or 15. When I did it with Guns N' Roses, I came up with 13 songs and all I had to do <laughs> was, cut was one. cut it to 12. Wow. <laughs> so, and you got to remember, this is anything besides appetite, right? So right. my list has three Chinese democracy, three use your illusion, two, one use your illusion, one, two from spaghetti and three from lies. So... As you can tell, I am not a big fan of the Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 albums. Yes, I bought them. Yes, because I'm a nerd. And yes, because I'm a completist. Yes, I have all these albums because I'm a nerd. And I'm a completist, right? (laughs) That is what it is. I'm just telling you that, yeah, I had 13 to pick from and I got 12. Yeah. Album name. I thought about it for a while and I really wanted to play off of Appetite for Destruction. So my album name is Basking in the Aftermath. So if you kind of get it, I have an Appetite for Destruction and now I'm basking in the aftermath. If you can understand what I'm talking about there. Completely. Album art apocalyptic type animated drawing, futuristic with a nod to Terminator 2 for obvious reasons. You got flags like burnt in the drawing. There's a U.S. flag, a China flag, some Middle Eastern countries, a Union flag, a Confederate flag. 
There's a fat guy in the corner that, you know, looked like he ate everything that was in the buffet and the buffet's all trashed. Come here, I'm gonna eat you! I'm bigger than you, I'm higher in the food chain! Get in my belly! And then there's like a couple of guys in suits in another corner doing a drug deal down the street, um, you know, uh, uh, amongst this apocalyptic thing that's going on. And you'll understand why, because a lot of the songs I chose have the feel of this album art. I don't think it was right for you to uh, paint a picture of me passed out in the corner at the Caesars <laughs> Buffet. Though. That wasn't very nice. I said nothing about that. It could have easily been me. You went there. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> All right. So my first song, and it was just because I had waited so long, and it was a pretty good kickoff track, is Chinese Democracy, the title track. Yep. And I wanted you know to start my album off with an appropriate kick-ass song. I remember when the album came out, it had been 17 years, and I put the CD in, and I'm like, Really? You're going to make me wait another whole minute of shit <laughs> before I get to the riff. Like I haven't waited 17 years already, Axel. Thanks a lot. Um, but you know, is another minute going to kill you? Probably not. Song's got huge power chords. I mean, it's got all kinds of wah solos. Like this initial song after 15 years totally makes you feel like, or 17 years, I guess it was for original album anyway, totally kind of makes you feel like GNR's back. Like it's got that punch in your head type of riff that's right out of the LA gutters kind of thing. Then I found a quote from Axel. He was talking about the first time the song was played. By the way, the first time the song was played was January 1st, 2001. By the way, that's one, one, one. I'm just kind of going there. <laughs> so he was watching some movie called Kundan on TV and it's about the Dalai Lama. So I tell him I'm a pro Jack. And who do you think they give me? The Dalai Lama himself. The 12th son of the Lama. The flowing robes, the grace, bald, striking. So I'm on a first tee. What am I giving the driver? He hauls off and whacks one. Big hitter, the Lama. Long. Into a 10,000-foot crevice right at the base of this glacier. Do you know what the Lama says? No. Gunga, galunga. Gunga, gunga, la gunga. So we finish 18, and he's going to stiff me. And I say, hey, Lama, hey, how about a little something, you know, for the effort, you know. And he says, oh, uh, there won't be any money. But when you die on your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. So I got that going. He's about to cross the border to be in exile from, for the rest of his life from his own country. And kind of looks back at the folks who helped him Axel and realizes the Dalai Lama, the Dalai Lama <laughs> uh, Axel hasn't been exiled yet. He looks back and notices that all these people that help him are probably going to get killed. So he's like, look, it's not an intelligent song. It, I, it doesn't have to answer to anything. It's not a, a necessarily pro or con China. It's just about China symbolizes one of the strongest yet most oppressive countries of governments in the world. And we Americans are fortunate to live in a free country. So that's what, kind of what the song was about. The second part of the guitar solo that Buckethead does, oh my God, it's unbelievable.
Yeah, there are some good solos. I did listen to, uh, in doing research for this episode, I spent some time listening to the record as a whole, which is the first time I've done so in quite some time. And there are some pretty damn outrageous solos on that record, I must say. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you got Buckethead and Bumblefoot. I mean, Mm -hmm. come on, right? My second song, You Could Be Mine, there's no way you can't have this on an album because this is a huge song. It would definitely be the first single. And for me, an album should have a great first and second track. It's very, very important for me. And, you know, some people don't know the story, but Arnold actually had the band members over for dinner to negotiate having the song. So Schwarzenegger actually had these guys over for dinner. And then that lyric with your bitch slap rapping and your cocaine tongue, you get nothing done. That's actually already written in the Appetite jacket. So this song was written before Appetite actually released. What's interesting about that whole part in the middle, it almost feels like a rap. It almost feels like Axel's like, look, I got all these lyrics. You're going to hear them all at the same time because I didn't know what to cut out. So I'm just going to say everything I was feeling at the same time. And then I was kind of looking at the lyrics and I'm like, hmm, when I come home late at night, don't ask me where I've been. Just count your stars. I'm home again. I said that to Nicole once. It didn't go over well. It really did not go over well. Um, okay. Uh, I'd have paid to see that black eye. Awesome. Uh, third song, you had it too. Bad Obsession. I love that song. And just like you said, it's like that blues, Mm -hmm. but it it feels like it's almost like a bluesier sister song to like Brownstone, right? And it makes sense because Izzy was a huge blues fan and it makes sense that Michael Monroe's on the song playing harmonica and saxophone because he loved Hanoi Rock. So all makes sense. Fourth song on the first side of my cassette is Hair of the Dog from the Spaghetti Incident. I love Nazareth's version. And probably nobody will ever have the same feel that they had on the original, but it is a perfect song for GNR to cover because it fits your persona, right? And I'm always a sucker for the voice box thing. And just the lyrics of the song are great. I just love that song. Yeah, I agree. Fifth song for me was If the World from Chinese Democracy. You know, and this is a little slow for you probably, but that flamenco guitar, the unique percussion stuff that's going on, the strings, It kind of feels like it's a song about Axel, like seducing somebody, sealing the deal, but then you don't really know that the songs kind of got this middle Eastern feel to the guitar, which I love. I love that the music drops. So you just hear the bass and drums and Axel. And then like a third of the way through, there's like this earworm that comes back in the song with a little change. And the place where Axel is singing notes is absolutely nuts. So to hear this in 2008, after being a Guns N' Roses fan in 1987, it was kind of nice to hear. Now, that Chinese Democracy album is not all great, but it has some good songs on it. My number six also comes from Chinese Democracy, and it finishes off the first side, and it's called Riyadh and the Bedouins. So the song is interesting because I think it's about the Iraq War because Riyadh means love and Bedouins is nomads. And Axel had talked about that this song was about the wanderers and the homeless people in the Middle East and how no one really cares about them. So I guess maybe that that has to be true, right? But that, uh, 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 that's Mm -hmm. what really gets me, right? That, Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. And I really like songs about a little bit of history. I don't know how much history of this is true, but it kind of felt Maiden-esque in the lyrics. So that's kind of what attracted me. So, and the guitar solo here is absolutely banana. So that's an interesting first six. What do you think? 
Uh, definitely an interesting first six. Yeah, I mean, some of that stuff I like. Probably the two tracks from Chinese Democracy are, are out for me, other than the title track. Title track's good. That's how you kicked off your your side. I went back and forth with You Could Be Mine. You Could Be Mine actually was in my number two slot for a while, too, because I thought it was a great second song to kick into. But I ended up using it as the kickoff song because it was so powerful. Some of that stuff is good. I think Hair of the Dog is a great choice. I almost picked that one myself. It is a perfect cover song for Guns N' Roses to do. And I like their version of it. I like the original version as well, but I like their version equally. All right. So my second side, seventh song, I went with Pretty Tied Up. You had it also. That whole thing about the perils of rock and roll decadence. Actually, I was thinking about naming the album that because I thought that would have fit too. So Izzy had said in an interview, my friend Tony took me to meet this woman at her house. She gave us some tequila or something or something. Dude, you don't know what you were drinking, whatever. And she goes into the bedroom and we walk in there and there's a big fat naked guy with an onion in his mouth. He's wearing women's underwear and high heels and he's tied up with duct tape against the wall. Me and Tony were like, what the fuck is going on here? So he went and wrote the song about this bondage encounter. Slash said that him and Izzy wrote the song in one night before they went to Chicago uh, for a, like a gig, I guess. And Slash said Izzy was so high on heroin that night that he made a sitar out of a cymbal, a broomstick, and some strings. So that's why they have the sitar in the actual song.
and the song is great. I was looking at some of the lyrics and it's like, okay, I know this chick. She lives down on Melrose. She ain't satisfied without some pain. Friday night's going up inside her again. <laughs> well, crack the whip. Cause that bitch is just insane. I'm serious. I was thinking, I think I know this chick. I might've <laughs> dated her. And I really wanted to let Izzy know. Cause he's listening. Dude, that wasn't an onion. It's called a ball gag. Come on, dude. What's wrong with you? If you're smart, you won't share that story with Nicole. Because <laughs> that also will result in a black eye. <laughs> it was 91. We didn't know each other yet. <laughs> she um, might hold that one against you just for the hell of it. <laughs> okay, my A song. I went with Since I Don't Have You from the Spaghetti Incident. I love doo-wop. Any doo-wop I've heard, pretty much I like. Uh, I thought Axel did a great job. Uh, with his rendition, I thought Slash literally singing the melody with his guitar is incredible. I get it. It's a slower song. I'm sure the writers for the Skyliners didn't know Axel was going to say, yeah, we're fucked right in the middle of the song. <laughs> but in the last 30 seconds, is kind of a waste. But it is a good cover. Honestly, it's better than the original, to be honest with you. He did really well with this. Mm. My number nine song, you didn't have it on yours. I, I actually like Civil War. I think it's a really, I don't like actual Civil War. I like the song. Um, <laughs> just making that clear so I don't get hate mail. Um, <laughs> that seems to be the catchphrase of the hour lately, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's long. I get it. it. It needs to be a little shorter. But uh, Slash had said that he wrote the instrumental uh, right before the band like left for the Japanese leg of the Appetite Tour, and then Axel wrote the lyrics at a sound check in Australia. And you know, it's a protest song, obviously referring to all war, civil war, and you know that it only feeds the rich while it buries the poor. Like it's that epic song. I guess every band needs one. There's a message. There's a ton of pace changes. There's a catchy melody. I think it's just sometimes these rock bands forget that there's just like dumb rockers listening. Like now we don't understand 80% of this shit. So it doesn't have to be as, I guess, as grandiose as it is, right? You can just cut two minutes out of it and it'd still be a great song. So, uh, but I do like the song. So I have it on my album. Then I put a little twist in. I put the final three songs were recorded during a drunken acoustic recording session. Adler was late. So they started without him. And that's why patience is next because there's no drums, right? This song supposedly is about Axel and his, you know, ex-wife, Aaron. Some thought it was Izzy writing about his ex-girlfriend, Angela. I remember when I first heard it, I was like, really dude, whistling? Like this is where we're at now. <laughs> but honestly, I, I can't hear the song without the whistling now. I used to do this song karaoke, dude. You would not believe how many people love this song, no matter how bad you sing it. Chicks love this song. I don't know what it is. Were you a good whistler? No, I didn't whistle because the whistling was on the track. So I didn't have to whistle. <laughs> well, Guns N' Roses made a habit out of whistling. They whistled in Civil War too, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. I sent you that track that Chris Cornell does, Patience. That was pretty yeah. good, right? Yeah, yeah, it was decent. My second to last song, Used to Love Her. Dude, it is my favorite song after Appetite. It is amazing. I love that people think it's about one of Axel's girlfriends, but that's a joke. Izzy said he was listening to some radio and some guy was whining about how this girl was treating him bad. He wanted to take his radio and smash it against the wall because of, you know, he thought the guy was a wimp. So he rewrote the same song with a better ending. Slash said it's actually about Axel's dog 
I don't know if there's an award for like catchiest song about murdering your significant other, <laughs> but this should really work because it does kind of feel like friends singing around a campfire, right? Like, come on. I used to love her. I had to put her six feet under and I can still hear her complain. Dude, that is gold. It sounds like a, uh, a version of the honeymooners. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I had this on my album as well. Obviously it is just a fun song. So, uh, I totally get, I think you might be heaping a little bit too much praise on it, but yeah, I, I got it. I like it. Uh, and it is fun. And, and, and the important thing is not to take it too seriously. Right. Yeah. And then my last song is actually you're crazy because People might think I'm crazy, but I think the acoustic version is actually better than the plugged-in version. I think it has more bite. I like where Axel's singing it tone-wise, and I like that he ended the song the way the original ended. So it even gets a nod to Appetite because it'll be their second album, and uh, I really enjoy it. I think most folks hate the acoustic version. I really like GNR Lies. I The Uzi Suicide part of it, I can live without. It didn't matter to me. But the four songs that were done acoustically, I enjoy them. And I would say I listen to Used to Love Her, You're Crazy, and um, Patience almost as much as I listen to Appetite in his whole. So there's my album. Well, you saying you're crazy is better than the original version is just you trying to be cool like Izzy and do heroin because... <laughs> 
that's the only thing that I can explain why you would say something stupid like that. It's good, dude. If you had <laughs> never okay. heard the original, if you had never heard the original, it's okay, and only heard the acoustic, you would love that song. I don't hate it. It's not. It's not about that. But I really like the guitar, the original one. Uh, I've always liked that song. I thought it was pretty good. Definitely an interesting take uh, and an interesting spin on how we would follow up appetite. I'll be interested to hear some of the opinions and some of the thoughts of other folks. I hope that people will get people posting and they'll be pulling stuff off of appetite and they'll think it's kind of a, a guns and roses greatest hits, but hopefully they understand this episode and understand where we're coming from with this stuff. And I mean, the question is, and we got to answer the question is guns and roses really that great. And when I look at it, I have to say, no, man. I mean, appetite, absolutely stellar, incredible album, desert Island album, 18 million worth every bit of that. But when you ask people and talk to people, most everybody gravitates to that record. So, we're talking about one record released in 1987 and the band is playing stadiums to this day. We're not talking about playing big clubs. We're not talking about playing arenas. We're talking about stadiums, dude. And it's crazy to me because this band will be a first. I mean, they'll go. They're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet, right? Are they? I have no idea. I don't think so. I mean, there'll be a first ballot entry. They'll end up in the Hall of Fame the first shot that they get if they're not in there yet. And it's just, to me, it's just crazy. And yes, they sold a lot of albums, but to me, I, you know, it's they're not good albums. Uh, you know, Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction is a great record. The rest of them have some good material. Uh, and I pulled what I thought was the best. And there's still some good material that I didn't put on my album from Use Your Illusions 1 and 2 that I like. And maybe one or two more songs off of Chinese Democracy. Spaghetti Incident, as far as I'm concerned, could have never happened. I would have not missed it at all. So that's my personal take on does Guns N' Roses warrant everything that they've gotten to this point? What's your take? My answer to the question, is GNR really that great? I would say there are about 25 songs total, including the entirety of Appetite, that are awesome. The rest, meh. Like, I, it's one outstanding debut album. Then there's a bunch of drugs, drinking, MTV, the Metallica tour, the From L.A., being late to shows, Axel being a prima donna, the Axel Vince fight. I think it was Vince who was supposedly supposed to fight the stupid riot. Like there's, this is more pop culture making them crazy. And then them coming back with Terminator 2, which did not hurt. November Rain, which did not hurt. MTV basically squeezed them for every drop they could squeeze Guns N' Roses. But by the time Spaghetti Incident came around, Guns N' Roses was a dead issue. Then all it's doing is you're selling a million copies because you're Guns N' Roses and you have a name. If it's not for Best Buy and Dr. Pepper kind of forking out money when Chinese Democracy came out, they don't send a million albums then. So to me, this band wouldn't even hit my top 50. <laughs> but Appetite is a Desert Island album for me. Yeah, and I think, you know, on the surface, 
when you ask a little a question like that, when we put that in the title and say, is Guns N' Roses really that great with a question mark? A lot of people are going to go to a negative standpoint right away. And they're going to be like, dude, Guns N' Roses freaking rule. Come on, man. But what I'm asking people to do <laughs> is just take a minute, take a breath, breathe, baby, and listen to what, what we're saying. Are, do you think Guns N' Roses rules because of their entire catalog, or is it really just about appetite for destruction? And if that's the case, then I think they're a pretty good band at best, not a great band. And that's how I see it, because 33 plus years and delivering one good record and a bunch of filler material with maybe 15 other good songs that's okay to me. That's not great. Yeah, so let's uh, let's talk Kiss for a minute. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So Kiss and GNR... They don't have a ton of history. Bumblefoot has recorded a couple of covers. Adler probably wishes he was best friends with any member of Kiss. He'd even take Peter if he could. And uh, I don't think Slash and Paul are the best of friends because I was looking at some stuff and I've read Paul's book and I came across this article from September 2014 by a guy named Matthew Wilkening. He says, Paul Stanley says he had to teach Slash a pretty harsh lesson in rock and roll diplomacy back at the start of slash his career. In his book, Paul recalls a time when he was asked to meet with Guns N' Roses who were about to start work on Appetite. He wasn't all that impressed on first sight. Paul described Izzy as unconscious with drool coming out of the side of his mouth <laughs> and slash as half comatose. Stanley said he showed slash how to tune his guitar in the five string open G method preferred by Keith Richards and offered to put him in touch with people who could get him free guitars. Paul then went to see GNR play two small clubs in LA, which Paul described were stupendous shows. The second club is where all the trouble began between the two. Paul recalls they weren't happy with the guy mixing their sound and slash asked me out of the blue to help out. Decades later, Slash recollections of that night would be faulty at best. He likes to pretend I had dared to meddle with their sound. Immediately after my interactions with the band, I started to hear a lot of stories Slash was saying behind my back. He called me gay, made fun of my clothes, and all sorts of designed things to make him get some sort of rock and roll credibility at my expense. This was years before his top hat, sunglasses, and dangling cigarette became a cartoon costume that he would continue to milk for the rest of his career. <laughs> Paul says he got the final word a few months later when Slash called him up about those free guitars. Paul says he said to Slash, you want me to help you get guitars after you went around saying all that shit behind my back? You know, one thing you're going to have to learn is how not to air your dirty laundry in public. Nice knowing you. Go fuck off. All right. Now, here's a recipe for rigatoni with garlic. You should try it. <laughs> I added the rigatoni thing. I'm kidding. I, I um, know you did, but that was pretty good. I got I to gotta say. I got you on that one. There man, you go. That's, that's really good. Make sure I'm listening. Did he add peas to it? That's all I want to know. Of course he did. Jesus. Of course he did. 
So Slash has said pretty much everything Paul said was accurate. <laughs> so Paul and Slash are probably not the best of friends. But Slash is friendly with Ace and ended up on an Ace album. Ace had done a bunch of, had a bunch of people help him with Origins Volume 1, released in 2016. So here's Ace on guitar and vocals, Chris Weiss on bass, Scott Coogan on drums, and Slash on guitar, including their switching off on the solo, doing the Thin Lizzy classic, Emerald. Down from the glen came the marching men With their shields and their swords To fight the fight they believe to be right And overthrow the overlords To the town where there was plenty They brought plunder, swords and flame when they left the town was empty Children would never play again From the graves I 
Yeah, Ace has a good habit of picking songs that, for whatever reason, he can do and sing, and it sounds halfway decent. I like this version. I like the more modern, uh, heavier-sounding guitar in this song. I like this song anyway. I like Thin Lizzy. I know you're not a Thin Lizzy fan, but uh, I like this in terms of uh, Ace Frehley covers. Pretty good. Yeah, he did a pretty good uh, imitation of Phil singing. Yep. They pretty much sound the same. <laughs> that ace just sounds probably a little more New York than Phil does. But dueling solo thing that they're doing kind of back and forth is pretty good. Yeah. Cool. So definitely an interesting topic. There's no doubt. Steven's also going to put in the show notes my Spotify playlist for my album. So that way you can listen to it if you want to. Yep. I would say, you know, the, the final answer, you know, GNR, they are who they are. If it's not for appetite, if it's not for lightning in a bottle, if it's not timed well, maybe it's not as big as it has been. I don't know if I can name another band that got so big by one album. Like I, I think there's bands in history like Credence. They only really released like three albums and then they have like 18 compilation albums somehow. Jimi Hendrix released basically three albums. And those three albums lived on forever. And then there was a bunch of live albums and blah, 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 blah. I just don't know if there's a band out there that can still play arenas 35 years later after one big album. I just don't know they exist. You know, we've done episodes on Diamond Certified albums. But one question that I'm sort of interested in is, has there ever been a band that put out a debut album that exceeded Diamond other than... Uh, and I'm sure there are, but I don't know them other than like we know Van Halen one is diamond. We know Guns N' Roses appetite is diamond. Are there any other hard rock or metal bands out there that have diamond certified debut albums? Yeah, I think the the moniker there is hard rock. Yeah, There's other diamond album, not hard rock, I don't think. Diamond uh, debut records. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be curious to know about uh, debut Diamond Certified Rock Records, Hard Rock Records. I would be curious about. Off the top of my head, I definitely can't think of any other than Van Halen 1 and and this record. It's the hard rock part that's the problem, right? Because even, let's see, Nirvana, it wasn't their first album, right? So it wouldn't have been them. Nickelback has one, but it wasn't their first album. I don't know if if you can say they're hard rock. Right. So, yeah, I don't think there's another hard rock. Did Nickelback have a diamond certified record? All the right reasons. Really? Yeah. Holy shit. I don't remember that. It's do the diamond record. You know, even when we did it, we were like, really? Yeah. That's diamond yeah, Lincoln park. Like that's a diamond album. Wow. Like, that's unbelievable. To that me. Nickelback's probably just diamond certified in Canada. It's like oh. 500 copies is, is platinum there. <laughs> Led Zeppelin one. Uh, yeah, that's probably diamond, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, okay. Oh, Pearl Jam ten. If you consider them hard rock. Uh, well, yeah, I think that's close enough. Yeah, yeah. All right, interesting. Well, yeah, this has been a fun episode. I'll be interested to hear what some uh, people's feedback is. Whether they think Guns and Roses really is that great, and if if so. I want to know that they're thinking that beyond appetite, and it's not just tied to that album. Yeah, and I think, you know, part of it, and we've talked about it before, as you do research for these different things that we do, it just becomes more and more evident to me that if you have a female fan base, you can still play arenas. You really can play big places. Like, this is what is helping Def Leppard and never helped Tesla. 
the female fan base is just, they're big. They never give up on you. Like they're loyal no matter what. And I'm not in love with all the stuff Def Leppard's done the last 15 years, but it doesn't seem like anybody cares. They still go out there and play wherever they want to. I don't know. Pretty Boy Floyd's not playing stadiums today. Uh, yeah, but they didn't have a huge female <laughs> fan base to begin with. They look like females. Uh, yeah, they weren't. <laughs> uh, we've offended some Pretty Boy Floyd fans, damn it. All, right. all six of them? <laughs> God. Anyway, this has been real. It's been fun. Uh, it's even been real fun. So <laughs> I guess that'll I'll cap tonight's episode. Uh, remember that we just got done doing our month-long tribute to Van Halen. So going forward in 2021, we're going to invite a different guest each uh, month to come on and review one of the Van Halen albums from start to finish and we'll go track by track and talk about that record. And they got 12 records. There's 12 months in the year and uh, it'll be fun to have a different guest on for each one of those. And it'll get released at some point each month. Uh, and I'm guessing that we're going to be starting with uh, VH1, the debut, the diamond certified debut. Be on the lookout for that. Anything else we got going on? Nope, that's it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the feedback, and we will catch you soon. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.